Socks on 35th is next. Doors open on the left. How's it going, everybody? My name is Duke Coughlin, and welcome to Socks on 35th podcast. We are back for another exciting episode covering your Chicago White Sox. As always, I'm joined by our panelists, Jordan Lazowski, Nick Gower, and this week's guest, Michael Suoro. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Well, high school baseball playoffs start this week, uh, so at least I'll see one team in the postseason. That, that's good to know. <laughs> oh Man, I'm just happy to be here. I feel like I'm a kid that finally got promoted to the adult table on Thanksgiving, so thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, we're glad to have you, buddy. Nick, how are you doing? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm good, too. I spent all day looking at spreadsheets and whatnot and i was like oh this will be a nice break and then i realized that in prepping for the episode i was doing basically the same thing by looking at everyone's stats but i still like it it's still enjoyable so i was gonna say spreadsheets and numbers all day that sounds like a great day i don't know what you're about to complain about <laughs> Jeez. yeah no not, nothing's more exciting than getting to talk about the white Sox, you know so I'm obviously ecstatic. Uh, I'm actually very happy i got to see the one like positive of the weekend and that was white Sox winning on a night game Great to hear that everybody's uh, still still with this team. We've quite a bit to cover in this episode, but for, before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your podcast. Also, be sure to check out the website at SoxOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SoxOn35th. All right, so obviously we should just jump right into the nitty-gritty of it. Um, so last week of baseball, eh, not so great. Uh, I believe we went two and five. We won one against Kansas City and one against the Astros. Uh, lost both those series. Um, obviously, the Astros series should sting a little bit less than the Kansas City Royals, the 2023 Kansas City Royals series should. Um, uh, but, you know, just just first thoughts kind of off the top of it, Nick. I'll let you go ahead and start. Um, how do we feel about the past week of White Sox baseball? Please be honest. I mean, we don't feel great. I don't think anyone should. I also think that, I mean, it's one thing to lose two out of three to the Astros. I don't know the Astros haven't been that great this year, but they're still the Astros. It's that Royal series that just is very annoying. And honestly, I didn't really expect the Sox to do that well in that series because I feel like we always say like, oh, it's the Royals, you know, they're they're easy. But they really haven't played that well against the Royals in the last couple of years, uh, at least compared to, you know, maybe a team like the Tigers that are also, um, you know, the bottom of the AL Central. So wasn't that surprising i mean i was hoping to split, split the series at least losing the series was was very annoying and i think as we've been talking about all year what's annoying also is the way that they're losing it's not like it's one problem like they're hitting home runs this week in the last couple of weeks but now it's the starting pitching is very hit or miss the bullpen is better but every now and then we'll just have a complete outlier of an outing where you know they're the reason we lose the defense i mean i know there have been some botched rundowns and whatnot but it's less of an issue than it was early in the season. It's just really hard for me to pinpoint one thing in particular. But I guess the only positive now really is Luis Robert, uh, which we also talked about. We talked about him a lot last week. He's still continuing his hot streak. He's homered in three straight games, and he homered four times this week. I was actually a little surprised. I thought he would be maybe the AL player of the week. They gave it to Anthony Rizzo. They had almost identical stats. So I guess the Yankees being a winning team. I know Duke's rolling his eyes, but... Uh, got the nod there, but still good to see him playing well. I just hope that others follow up. So wait, you're saying that moving Luis Robert down in the lineup kind of helped him reset, and now he looks like a good ball player. Is that what we're saying? 
That's not what I'm saying, but I'll let you finish. Oh, I, I am 100% <laughs> Plead the fifth. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll plead the fifth. Good one, Michael. <laughs> um, I think Nick's spot on where it, it's it's frustrating, right? And it's not just that you lost. It's that you lost and then your manager came out and said, hey, we weren't really prepared. We didn't really look. I forget what the exact terminology he used was, but basically we weren't, we didn't come ready to play. And it's like you're 14 games under 500. This ship is sinking faster than you can possibly imagine. And you're just not ready to play. Like who do we blame for that? Do we blame the players? Do we blame the coaches? Like someone's got to take the fall for the manager coming out and saying, Hey, just, we weren't prepared to play, especially when you came out as a manager. And I'm a fan of Rafal. I'm a fan of, sort of what he has said from the beginning. That being said, everything since then has been like, we're not prepared. We're not ready to go. We're not fundamentally sound. It's like, that's what you said you were going to come in and fix. So when does that get fixed? Is the problem for me. It's like, again, I like him. I I like what he's said. And overall, I like his style. I don't really have complaints about it. It's just more so that the the things you said you were going to come in and fix, you're still picking out as problems. And it's one thing where it's like, yeah, changing hitters approaches. That's going to take time. I'm willing to be lenient on that. It's the intangibles. It's the little things that you said you were going to come here and fix that are still issues and are resulting in three out of four losses to the Royals. That's a problem. Yeah, no, Jordan, I actually completely agree with you. Um, I I still think that Grafal could turn into eventually a good manager, but you're right. That's that was his whole thing in the in the off season was he was going to get back to the basics and he was going to fix this team from the ground up. And we we just haven't seen it yet. Now, granted, it's only been what a month and a half. You know, it, it, this thing does take time. After the past couple of years, where you know every player's approach at the plate was just gone to hell. You know, I, I think it is going to take a bit more than this to really get this team back. You know, to where it should be. Or I guess it, I guess it should, but you know, part of the thing is, what does Griffal have to work with right now? Too, like this team just has no depth. Every time we bring someone back from the IL, another guy goes on the IL to replace them. It's just a constant cycle of having to replace people, and he has to constantly come up with new lineups to make up for that. I mean, we finally just got Jake Berger back, um, but you know, Makata's finally back, and we're we're supposedly getting some more help soon with you know. Liam Hendricks will be back soon. Crochet is working back his way back, but now Eloy's gone again. Um, they they had to send down Oscar Colas and Lenny and so so like we're it's just a constant cycle of having to change up this roster at this point. And everyone that they bring in just really isn't doing anything to step up. So like yeah, I agree. Like Griffal should be doing more um, to help get this team ready. And you know the the constant. Um, oh, we weren't ready. Like, I completely agree. Like, that that shouldn't be an excuse. Like, we, it shouldn't even have to be at that point. But at, at a certain point, you almost have to feel sorry for him because what has Rakan really given him to work with at this point, you know? Well, I see that and I don't see it. Because it's like, yes, at a certain point, you know, oh, the roster moves were great. Those 11 roster moves a few weeks ago. But at a certain point, it's like shuffling chairs on the Titanic at a certain point. Like, I get that. But at the same time, then don't come out and say you weren't prepared to play baseball. Like, that's the that's the part you can fix. That's the part you can say, hey, we're doing everything we can. We're coming out. We're playing hard every night. Uh, we're prepared. We're mentally focused. 
we just got beat or we just don't have the guys here, then that argument becomes a little bit easier. It's, it's kind of like it's the same conversation we've had for years about this team. You can't place the blame anywhere specifically. It doesn't seem like Griff Foles totally doing his job. It doesn't seem like Rick Hahn's totally fully doing his job. It's like you can continue to just push it around. We feel like Chris Getz isn't fully doing his job with the minor league system the way that it is. It's like at a certain point, it's like, yes, but there's this other person who's not doing their part. of They're, they're not holding up their end of the bargain either. It's just this constant shuffling back and forth of everything. I just, I guess where I stand on the entire thing when it comes to the, uh, like, the the quote is the thing that obviously seems to bother you a lot, Jordan, is Pedro Cavall saying that they weren't ready to play baseball. I guess I guess I kind of take it a little bit differently as in he's kind of standing in for his players and kind of taking the, uh, taking the artillery on that. Um, flat out, a lot of guys just haven't performed, you know, I mean, there's only so much Pedro Gafal can do when he's setting out the lineups and putting those guys out with gloves in the infield, you know, he can't, he can't field the balls for him. Um, he can't tell Andrew Vaughn to stay on first base in a very obvious situation to stay on first base in a key moment in a baseball game. Um, you know, that's, that's stuff that, you know, as a major leaguer, you're supposed to kind of understand at a certain point. Um, you know, the more time that goes on, you, you know, from Rick Rentry from Rick Renteria to Tony La Russa to now Pedro Fall, I'm starting to wonder how much managerial decisions were this team's biggest issue in the first place, you know, because I feel like a lot of people thought after Rick Renteria, okay, this is a guy that developed us. We need the guy to get us to the next step. Obviously nobody wanted Tony La Russa to be that guy, but um, it, it, it's, I, I just keep starting to wonder like, are these players getting the coaching? You know what I mean? Is Can the managers really do too much more? Um, I, I mean, I will say, you know, and Jordan, I'll give you a little bit of credit as far as, you know, Luis Robert moving down in the lineup, him looking looking better. But you don't magically start taking – you don't magically start taking bad pitches when you move down to fifth in the lineup. All I'm saying is – No, I'm just Lu- – Luis, yeah. Luis Robert, you have to give him credit. He has stopped swinging at junk. He started getting pitches that he likes. And when Luis Robert gets pitches that he likes that he can just swing as hard as humanly possible on, great things tend to happen. And I, I think he's starting to see that. It seems like something's really clicked with him when it comes to his approach at the plate. And um, you dude, you could bat him anywhere anywhere in the lineup. And I think he just kind of hit a point where it's like, all right, I need to stop swinging at the first pitch. And then I need to stop swinging at the second pitch if the first pitch looks awful. You know what I mean? Kind of, kind of the Paul Konerko approach. You know, one of the most talented uh, batters the White Sox have seen in the last 20 years as far as just approach and patience. Paulie never swung at the first pitch, and he usually ended up getting a pitch that he liked in an at-bat. And maybe that's a little bit of what Luis Robert needs moving forward. I mean, it's about zoning up at the end of the day. It's like you can't cover the entire plate. And there was an article recently from James Fegan that kind of talked about this point at the minor league level. But it's the same thing at the major league level. You can't cover every part of the plate, zone up get your pitches and focus on those. And Nick, uh, you wrote the article recently, or it was Monday we put it out on Luis Robert, sort of the over-hated, underappreciated type guy um, that I think is worth having you discuss. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's nice to see him sort of make those adjustments um, after going through quite a rough patch. Yeah, for sure. And the reason I wrote that article that we put out on Monday, it was it wasn't actually had nothing to do with our our podcast. I know that we talked about Robert a lot um, mm, sure. earlier in the year, 
but it, it really was more of a, a response to fan reaction because the hustling incident is the one thing that Robert did this year where I was actually like, yeah, that's that's on him. He needs to be better. Even though there was some nuance there, that was primarily his fault, in my opinion. And when we talked about it on the podcast, but in addition, he got a lot of hate earlier in the year for his approach, which again was, you know, that, that was pretty warranted. I, I felt like there was a time where his results were still good. So it was like, I understand the process over results argument. I'm usually that person, but at the same time, I was like, he's had a good career to this point. Like, the approach is not great, but it's still good enough for him to provide above average results. And now the approach is just better than ever has been, which I'm hoping it's not just a a fluke. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that's sustainable. I think, like we've said, and like I also said in the article, I think he'll always be the kind of player that goes through these really bad funks every now and then. And it'll look like he doesn't even know what he's doing. He's just waving at sliders and people will think he's not trying. And that will be annoying. But I'm just hoping that next time that comes around, people give him some more slack because when he's at his best, he is this player that we're seeing the last couple of weeks. He is truly, when when he's on, he's truly an MVP caliber player because there's nothing he cannot do. It's just a matter of getting consistent with it, whether that is because he needed the little, you know, accountability for the hustling incident or it's whether whether it's being put down in the lineup, like Jordan's been saying, There, there's something there. And really the point of that was to say, I feel like he's gotten a lot of um, attention negative attention from fans this year some of it warranted but when you look at the rest of the roster i'm wondering why he got so much and other players aren't really getting any yeah i think it's a fair point i i you asked this question previously and i do think that's still a fair question to ask um i i still don't have the world's best answer to it i i think in reality though like the swings he's taken on pitches now are better than they even were when he was just muscling the ball out in Pittsburgh, those first couple series. Like he looks locked in right now. And it's really, really cool to see. Um, I think Sox fans have just decided to move their hate elsewhere. I think Andrew Vaughn's certainly a name that's gotten a lot of heat in the past couple of days. Um, that's a, its own can of worms is determining Andrew Vaughn's value to this team and long-term value. And overall, is he good? Um, so I, I don't think Sox fans have shied away from finding somebody to point that vitriol at. I swear. I just imagine ourselves with like these long gray beards, still asking ourselves if Andrew Vaughn is good in like 30 years. <laughs> um, honestly, just closing out that point though, uh, just cause uh, I know Michael has some stuff he wants to talk about here without even looking at a thing that Andrew Vaughn did this weekend. Just look at how Jose Abreu played and still try to tell yourself that we didn't make the right decision. Love you to death, Jose. You don't look good. Yeah, love you to death, Jose. Like it, it's, dude. Father time's undefeated, but um, it, it's it, we're actually looking pretty smart for not handing over that type of money for a guy that we all kind of we knew, you know, we knew. But anyway, um, moving forward, uh, because you know there's not a whole lot of to be excited after that week of baseball that we watched. Luis Robert obviously is a huge huge stepping point because you know when he can just swing at pitches that he likes, he has just effortless power. Um, when he can be, you know, picky with any type of pitch, it, it goes over the wall pretty easily. And we saw it all weekend. Um, but, you know, let's let's get to a little bit of positivity. Michael, I know you cover quite a bit of our minor league stuff over here at Sox on 35th. Um, I know there have been some pretty good performances as far as players uh, down there. Um, I feel like everybody always kind of talks about the, the latest injury, you know, rehab assignment. But, you know, there's been some pretty good talent, uh, at least from what I've been seeing on some of the different Twitter sphere. Um, just just very broad, 
who are some guys that you are looking at right now who are who are looking pretty hot and who are some guys that are maybe not yeah i mean it, it's been uh an interesting start this season in the minor leagues especially with the lack of a presence of any of our top prospects you know Colson montgomery's yet to play a game yet brian ramos has been out, out all season Noah Schultz hasn't pitched a game in our farms in our organization yet. Um, and then Oscar Cole, Asamani Sosa obviously spent a big chunk of the uh, first part of the season on the major league roster. But there's been some good developments uh, in the in the farm system. And the biggest one by far is Christian Mina, our 20-year-old pitcher who is absolutely dominating in double A. Um, his ERA is a bit inflated at about a mid fours. I think it's about 4.5, but he's got a three fifth and a 2.5 X fifth. And he's striking out just barely under 15 batters per nine innings right now. And only walking two and a half. It's not even less than that. Actually, he has been unreal to start in double a at he's not even going to turn 21 until after the season so what he's doing at this level is incredible um aside from that um the you know our the entire winston-salem dash team it seems like is just chunking out breakout performances with uh recent draft pick jonathan cannons had a great first full season debut um wilford Varis has had a good uh a good uh start to the season dj gladney who was a high school draft pick a few years ago He's taken a little bit of time to develop, and it looks like he's turning a corner, is having a really strong start to the season. And uh, Lloyd Ultrapelli, who was uh, a international uh, signee last year, who's making his stateside debut, went straight to the Winston-Salem Dash in high A, and he's having a really good season. So there's been a lot of positive development so far. Along the lines of Mana, because I, I think that's a name that Sox fans have finally started to wake up to. And Michael, to your credit, you've been on his uh, hype train for as long as you've probably been with the page, um, you know, uh, with the Sox making the decision already in May to decide that Lucas Giolito is not coming back next year and all the questions about the rotation, a lot of fans are turning around and throwing out Mana's name as one that could be a replacement as soon as next year. Is that aggressive based on what you're seeing? Is it in the ballpark? Like, what are your thoughts when someone says, oh, we don't need to sign these guys? we're going to have guys like Mena coming up for next season. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's weird to think about a guy who's only 20 years old as, you know, a long-term or a short-term and a long-term solution. But I mean, what he's doing at the double A level is just incredible. And it's not just him, you know, striking out a ton of guys. Like he, he's pounding through the strike zone, his, uh, he's pitching uh, about 70% of his pitches, just under 70% of his pitches are going for strikes. So it's not like he's uh, a young pitcher who still has to work on his control. Like Ed is well advanced for his age. Um, his his stuff that plays, I mean, he doesn't have the most elite stuff in the world, but he's got a fastball that's good enough. It's in the 92 to 95 range. You'd like to see that tick up a little bit, but it'll play. He's got a hammer of a curveball. He's got a slider that's been developing really well this season. So, I mean, it's it's not unrealistic based on what he's doing right now. I mean, I would, at this rate, I would be surprised if he didn't finish the season, at least in AAA this year. Now, I mean, opening day roster, I, I think that's a little bit aggressive for next year. But, I mean, if he, if he continues to pitch well in AAA, which is an absolute launching pad of the field, 
So he's going to, that'll be a true test for him because the ball just flies in that park. But, and that has been his one area where he can improve on is he does give up the long ball occasionally. But if he can continue the success at AAA, then they, I mean, he might force their hand. He, there, it, it's definitely possible that we could see him up on this roster in 2024. I have a couple of follow-ups uh, on other guys you mentioned too. Out of curiosity, one is about Jonathan Cannon at uh, High A. I know that he's kind of a big pitchability guy and that he doesn't really have overwhelming stuff, but he pitches deep into games. Because he's pitching so well at High A, um, I wanted to know what your sense was when you think we could see him advance to double a triple a since he's more he's not like you know 19 or he's more age appropriate and the second follow-up is another high a guy wilfred veros i know you mentioned him as someone who's been hitting very well and i've always really liked him i feel like he i mean always in the last couple of years of however long he's been on um, in the system side um but i've liked him because he just seems to always kind of mash and even though he doesn't really have a set defensive position i've seen them trying him in all sorts of different areas I've I've always liked him, and I've just wondered what you think about him in terms of his future. Similar question to Cannon in terms of the timeline when we can see him advance, and whether you think he is a positionless guy that could DH, or if you think he'll have enough defensive value um, some, somewhere on the diamond. Yeah, so uh, I'll answer Jonathan Cannon first. So Jonathan Cannon was a guy coming into the draft last year where a lot of people saw him as a quick riser. Some people even predicted that he could potentially be the first player in the draft class to breach the majors. Um, he, like you said, he doesn't have the, the highest ceiling in the world, probably a back half of the rotation kind of guy. Although, I mean, it's not like he's got the worst stuff in the world. Like he, he's got some decent stuff. Um, he's only averaging about six and a half strikeouts per nine innings right now. So it's definitely not really playing that well, but he's a guy that he, he's another guy that can pound the strike zone. He limits walks. He, he, he can definitely be an innings eating type of guy, which I mean, yeah, you want all your pitchers to develop into aces, but that's just not realistic. You do have to develop third, fourth, fifth uh, starting pitcher type uh, players as well. And he, he fits that profile. Well, I think he's definitely a guy that should be moving up quickly in this, uh, in this organization. Um, honestly, I don't know if he has a ton left to prove at Winston-Salem. I could see him getting a promotion to Double uh, A Birmingham relatively soon. I mean, last year, Sean Burke, who was very similar, a college pitcher drafted in the third round, just like Jonathan Cannon was, he ended his first full season in AAA. I, I don't think that's unrealistic for Cannon. They are different pitchers. I think Sean Burke had uh, much better ability to miss bats, but he also had some some more control issues whereas ken is like the opposite he doesn't really have the control issues but he's not going to miss many bats but i could see that as kind of a template for what kind of time frame we're looking at with him and you know wilford barris he's he's having a great season he's, he's a guy who always had that power in him and like you said he it's been hard to find a true defensive position for him but the guy just mashes at the plate and he actually really started to open up some eyes Last year, um, he spent most of the season in Kannapolis, but ended up getting called up for Project Birmingham, and he actually held his own really well at that level. He hit a few home runs. He he looked competent at the plate, considering he was you know playing two levels lower that entire season. Like he held his own at that level, and then obviously he's in Winston Salem right now, where he's absolutely raking. 
with like a 330 batting average. He's got some home runs. He has absolute light tower power. Uh, you know, he his, his approach at the plate does need a little bit of work. He, he doesn't walk a lot. He's, he's, he strikes out more than you would like, although he has cut that down a little bit this year. It's about 25% strikeout rate. So it's not great, but it's not bad. It's not something that you need to be overly concerned about right now. But, and I know they've, he was looked at as a third base prospect initially. Then they moved him to first. Now he's been playing some outfield. So, I mean, I, I guess he's got some versatility <laughs> at least, um, whether or not he can play any of those positions well is yet to be seen, but he, he's working at it. And, you know, it, it gives us options in the future, but his bat's going to be his carrying tool anyways. And from what, what he's shown this year, the bat is playing up really well. And it's been a real exciting development to see him. Uh, have the type of season he's having so far. Michael, I want to ask about a couple of the more advanced type guys too, because it's always nice to hear about the guys who are finally showing up on the map at the lower levels too. But Mm -hmm. in terms of some of the guys, I think three names, I kind of want you to play like farm director yourself, Garrett Crochet, Oscar Colas, Lennon Sosa. So we saw two of those guys this year at the major league level completely struggle. Um, And the third Garrett Crochet is currently rehabbing from Tommy John. How would you handle the development of those three players? And I mean that from the standpoint of, do you leave crochet down given where the socks are? Of course, would you leave crochet down to become a starter and like Colas and Sosa kind of figure things out at the major league level? I, I guess given where they're at, how would you handle their development paths right now? Yeah. So um, starting off with crochet, I mean, based on, just looking at the you know outlook of the 2024 roster situation, they're kind of running out of options in the starting pitching department. So, you know, you drafted Garrett Crochet to be a starter. As he's going through his rehab, this might be the perfect excuse to finally start that transition from him to get back into being a starting pitcher. I mean, he... He, he's got the stuff that, you, that you're looking for in a potential front of the rotation guy. He, he still has that upside of being a good starting pitcher. Um, I would try to work him at that. I, I, my guess is the White Sox are going to end up calling him up. But it also sounds like they are at least looking at him as a long reliever. And that could kind of be the first step into transitioning him as a starting pitcher. Maybe work him in a multi-inning role give him a couple of days off another two or three innings his next outing. So it's starting to get somewhat similar to that starting rotation schedule. Um, I mean, personally, I would leave him down in AAA and start the transition to the starting pitcher, but I just don't think that they're going to do that. But I, I do think that somewhat of a transition of at least stretching him out is going to happen soon. Uh, with Oscar Colas, if you would ask me in the beginning of the season, I would have said that I want that, you know, first of all, it's not the biggest surprise in the world that Oscar Colas struggled in his first stint. I mean, yeah, he's a bit older as a prospect, but we also forget last year was his first year playing in the States. And before that, he really didn't play much meaningful baseball since 2019. There was always going to be an adjustment in his first stint in the majors. And if you had asked me before the season, I would have said, let him work out those issues in the majors. But after seeing kind of what he was going through in his regular at-bats, you know, at, at, there's that point that he just kind of looked lost up there. And I, I think that 
he's I still think he's a good hitter and I still think he has a real shot at being the long-term solution in right field for us but I, I think the way he was that pitches the pitchers were attacking him uh, in the major league level I think that's something that he's going to need to stay down in triple a and kind of work through some of those issues because the scouting reports out on him pitchers know how to attack him I think he'll have a, some better success you know getting adjusting to that you know to the fact that pitchers have kind of figured him out I think he can readjust better at the triple a level and I think he also gets some confidence back because like I said earlier Charlotte's an absolute launching pad and when he squares the ball up it's going to go 450 feet so I think just you know getting his confidence back up and be able to just mash some home runs in triple a I think could go a long way um I, I think the Sox have already come out and said that they're not just going to call him back up if they have a roster hold that they they want to make sure that he's ready next time he gets called up. So I think right now that's the right approach for him. Um, and then for Lenny and Sosa, I don't know what the Sox are doing with him, honestly. Like, I, I really am not a big fan of this constant call-up, send-down situation with him. You know, he, he's a guy who historically he's always needed a bit of an adjustment period at a new affiliate. And then he would be able to adjust and he'd just start raking. It was obvious last year. You know, he, he spent two years ago getting his, his feet wet in double A, didn't go well, started in double A last year, and he absolutely dominated it. So it, I think he just needs a bit of adjustment period, but it's hard to get that adjustment period when every year getting called up or sent back down. So I'm, I'm not a big fan of what they're doing with him. I personally think he's at that point where you just let him – stay at the major league level, get regular at-bats, and work through some issues. Um, I mean, defensively, like he was getting a lot better. Um, honestly, he looked better than Elvis Andrews at second base at some points, in my opinion. Um, but it, And even right before he got sent back down, he was his at-bats were looking more competitive. And I, it seemed like he was starting to make some of those adjustments, but they're just not giving him a chance to really stick with it. So. I could go on a rant for that for hours, but I'll, I'll, I'll cut that short. But I, I'm not a huge fan of the way they're going about Lenny Sosa's development right now. And I personally would keep him at the major league level. Well, you know, I think you hit a point, especially with Lenin, um, where what else does he really have to prove at the minor league level anyway? Like we've already seen what he can do when he's just absolutely mashing, whether it's at single A, whether it's at double A, whether it's at triple, like he's done it all over, you know? It's we should keep him on the major league roster, just keep him, you know, used to major league pitching. You know, that's that's the next hurdle with him. He's not going to learn anything more by going down to triple A. Whereas, like, I think you touched on the Oscar Colas point pretty well. I think a, a guy at his age, a guy that has the intangibles that he does um, with kind of the, the log jam at right field starting to get figured out a little bit more. And it's kind of hard to keep a guy like Gavin Sheets off the field with the way he's hitting and never thought I'd be able to say that uh, but you know that's kind of a good problem to have that you still need a guy like Oscar Colas to be playing baseball every single day you know you need him to continue to improve whereas on the flip side Lenin Sosa we've seen everything he can do at the minor league level what does he really need to prove so I, I 100% agree with you on that point um just just one one name throughout the entire minor league system you can pick whoever you want Somebody who just really is having a rough go of it needs to figure it out fast. Before I answer that question, well, bandwagon, it's good to have you. <laughs> but anyways, 
for for a prospect that's really struggling, Jose Rodriguez is the is the main guy that I've been you know watching. He was a guy a couple of years ago. He was the big breakout prospect for the White Sox, and you know it, he looked like he was on his on a path of he was going to be the potential you know solution at second base for the White Sox. Then last year he you know spent you know a, a majority of the season in Double A, really struggling like not terrible he was making consistent contact but he he you know he, he wasn't making hard contact and he was getting easy outs and anything he could get on base with it was nothing more than a single um and then he ended the season actually really well he started to you know square up the ball better started to hit more extra base hits and some home runs uh then the season ended shortly due to a broken handmade bone and maybe that's part of his issue this year maybe he's still feeling some of the effects of that but this season has really just been a train wreck for him you know sub 200 batting average he has hit a few home runs but I mean he's striking out almost twice as much as he ever has in the minor league in any minor league level so that's concerning that his strikeout rate just jumping through the roof his walk rate he's never been a guy that gets on base through walks that often anyways but He's really been struggling, and he's a guy that's taking up a 40-man roster spot right now. Yeah, Rodriguez was a name on my list as well. Um, At the end of the day, it kind of stinks to see someone like that struggle, but the season's young. Hopefully it's something where he figures it out over time and kind of go from there. Um, Michael, always appreciate your insights with this, I think. the uh, We might be having you on a lot. The minor leagues are becoming a little bit more uh, interesting to talk about right now. Uh, cause, uh, major leagues ain't doing too good. Uh, and I think as we kind of get towards these next couple weeks, when we say, okay, when, what's the final straw? Um, this might be the week, like 14 and 28. This, this might be the final straw of a week where you say, what's the point of no return? When is this a, uh, lost season? This, this week might actually be it. Guardians and Royals. If you can't handle your business here, this might be it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely a sad state of affairs is where we're at right now. But, you know, I, I echo what Jordan said, Michael. It's always great having you on. Uh, the minor leagues are definitely uh, something to look forward to. Um, obviously, it's going to be nice when we see guys like Colson Montgomery, um, Noah Gibson start to play baseball again. You know, I, I feel like that will really get a lot of us kind of psyched up for uh, what the future holds for this team. But obviously, for the major league lev- level, trade deadline just getting here a lot faster than, than I think any of us anticipated and for all the wrong reasons. So, but anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that is all we have for the socks on 35th podcast this week. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Also be sure to check out the website at socks on 35th.com as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at socks on 35th. Stay up to date with your Chicago white Sox. This has been Duke Coughlin joined as always by Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower as well as our special guest, Michael Sporro. It's always a pleasure. We will be back next week as we cover another week of White Sox baseball. Jerry Reinsdorf is crook. Thank you, and go Sox. I noticed you didn't say another exciting week of White Sox. Go Sox. (laughs) (laughs) It was exciting enough to have, I promise. (laughs) 